for your mean, mean pride. You are listening to Think Funny with Aaron Donnelly, Nate Sadler, and Matt Donnelly. For show notes and to check out Aaron's books, please visit AaronDonnelly.com. And now, the show that only thinks it's funny, the Think Funny Podcast. Welcome, everyone, to the Think Funny Podcast. This is Aaron Donnelly. I'm here with my co-host, Nate Sadler. Hey, everybody. And Matt Donnelly. Hello, fellas. Neil Peart, the drummer of Rush, died. Our very own co-host, Nate Sadler, has been a Rush fan for a lifetime. And so we thought we'd cover it. Um, And I don't know, Nate, do you have anything you want to start us off with? You know, I wrote some stuff down because I wanted to sound real eloquent, but that's not really speaking from the heart. I've been a Rush fan since I was probably 15 or 16. I was a junior in high school when I saw my first Rush concert on the Counterparts tour. Seen them, I think, 11 times total. Listened to every album, every song, thousands and thousands of times. It's it's the band that's kind of my uh, my home base. Like I'll, you know, you guys know I'm a big music guy, but yeah. Rush has always been home base. Like I'll go out and explore new music, but I'll always come back to Rush and. I don't know. Just I've never had the death of a complete stranger. I've never been within a hundred feet of him. I mean, I've been to a lot of concerts, but I've never had the death of a complete stranger. You know, really upset me. I mean, I didn't. You know, I didn't cry about it, but I it upset me. And I mean, sometimes listening to certain songs just kind of makes me emotional, and I'm not real sure why. So I just kind of wanted to talk through it, I guess, today. So yeah. Well, I had that same experience, Nate, when uh, Harry Carey died for the Cubs. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, that was like the first time, you know, someone that wasn't close to me, a family member, actually hit me that, wow, you know, uh, somebody I grew up to listening to every day passed away and it felt like a family member, yeah. even though, you know, I never met Harry Carey or talked to him or anything like that. So I, I understand the experience. In it's a way, you're closer of- than you are real people you know because with neil peart he wrote the lyrics that you just listen to constantly it's the lyrics that kind of run through your mind a lot though i mean the lyrics are just beautiful and the men who hold high places must be the ones who start to mold a new reality closer to the heart closer to the heart Going back to the lyrics, the thing that always, when I heard the song, I remember, okay, so our nights would start in high school talking about getting chicks and then playing pool in Nate's, uh, or joking around in Nate's basement until it would get too late to actually talk to any girls. And then we would drive around and listen to Rush, like so loud you can't think. And then we'd get Wendy's or Donut Land, and then we'd cruise around and not find girls, and then go back to Nate's and play Super Nintendo until about three. <laughs> that was the... uh but in that time of listening, <laughs> we're listening to Rush, thinking, and I remember hearing the song Subdivisions. Yes. And I was like, this, the lyrics in this song, like, definitely connect with the Rush fan. Like, that is directly speaking to those guys. And I pulled it up. I don't know if you guys remind me to read it. I think it's good to actually just listen, read the lyrics, almost like it's poetry. Uh, so yeah, there's a couple lines that speak to my soul in the song, yeah. but yeah. That's my favorite song, too. Yeah, so it goes uh, sprawling on the fringes of the city in geometric order, an insulated border in between the bright lights and the far unlit unknown. 
Growing up, it all seemed so one-sided, opinions all provided, the future pre-decided, detached and subdivided in the mass production zone. Nowhere is the dreamer or the misfit so alone. Subdivisions in the high school halls and the shopping malls conform or be cast out. Subdivisions in the basement bars and the backs of cars be cool or be cast out. Any escape might help to smooth the unattractive truth, but the suburbs have no charms to soothe the restless dreams of youth. Like, that's really good. Yeah. There's a line later in the song that says, uh, uh, some will sell their dreams for small desires or lose their race to rats, get caught in ticking traps and start Mm -hmm. to dream of somewhere to relax their restless plight. You know, now that I'm an adult, you know, when I was a kid, though, some of those lyrics you just read, you know, the conformer be cast out meant more. And now that I'm an adult, you know, day-to-day working, I think about the, some will sell their dreams for small, small desires right. to race to rats. I mean, that's, that's the line that speaks to me more now that I'm, <laughs> actually I have a, so that song subdivisions is on signals and I mm-hmm. have a uh, $160 signal shirt <laughs> Wow, that doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's the rush fan right there. It yeah. Fit. It'll never fit. I'll, I will never wear, wear a men's small, unfortunately. As much as I'd like to dream, I'm not going to wear a men's small. I just am not. So I want to know the guy that originally bought that shirt. Small, early 80s Rush fan. He's petite. The man is, <laughs> I don't know him, but he's a petite man. So it's a cool shirt. But, but the song covers both those things. It talks about the draw of the city and, and excitement when you're a kid. And then the ultimate sort of conform the burnout of the conformity after you've been sucked into it and you live your normal life. I think it was the lyrics probably that hit me first about Rush that are like, I'm like, something about these lyrics just speak to my soul. Like, I get this, you know, there's other music I like, like I love Tom Petty or, you know, there's a lot of other bands I really like, but the lyrics don't like move me. Rush's lyrics do move me, you know, like just this last week or two, just, you know, getting kind of choked up listening to some Rush songs. I mean, it's just, it's 26 plus years of memories of, you know, just loving that band for so long and what they've, I I think the, what my biggest thing was is I know it wouldn't matter to them, but I just wish they knew what their music meant to me. Does that make sense? Like, Mm -hmm. and it, you know, I know they'd be appreciative of it. They seem like good guys, but I just wish they knew how much their music meant to me. And just there's a sense of gratitude for just having that music. Like it was with me in high school, it was with me in college, after college. The thing with Rush is that it's hard to say that they're this. What you have to say is they're a combination of this, this, this. This is what they are to me. You throw, you take a cauldron, like a witch's cauldron, you throw in Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, uh, a really polite Canadian dude, and the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and a live rat. And that is Rush to me. <laughs> it's the rat. It's uh, I remember Nate, you were so into Rush, and I was into music and albums. I knew a lot about rock, but I didn't know very much about Rush. <laughs> you were like, oh, you don't know Rush? I can't believe it. Okay, hold on. Sit down. 
and you like you sat me down and you start playing it and then you do the nate impression of getty lee which is awesome and you hear rush and you hear the music and you're like yeah okay i get it yeah awesome and then getty lee's voice comes on <laughs> and the first time you hear it it's it's there's an adjustment that needs to happen absolutely yeah yeah it's either uh it's one of those things that either you you're fine with it or you absolutely hate it and that's what puts you off to rush yeah. And I get that. I mean, I, I can hear that in it. I think his voice is fine. I think it fits the music, but it's different. It's an acquired taste kind of voice. You know, I, I saw I, one uh, review said, it's like a munchkin preaching to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a munchkin that had been kicked in the rocks. Yeah. <laughs> But you know, once you get past that, it's it's yeah. it's good music. I mean, and, it, and you might like even like voice. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there's a certain uh, even with the imagery of Rush, there's a darkness. And I I remember even feeling like this is kind of evil in some way. And his voice kind of sounds like a demon of some kind, even though when you hear the lyrics, it's not that way. But um, it's well, definitely a do, heavy metal thing. Yeah, they do they do have some lyrics back from I would say the '70s that are a little on the dark side. I mean, they're just kind of your mythical, you know, the songs yeah. like Vitor and the Snow Dog or 2112 or, you know, there are a lot of the Caress of Steel album. There's just, yeah. it's just very dense and heavy kind of material to uh, process. Wow, you don't Let's talk about Rush fans. This is another thing that you can't just say this is what it is. It's uh, I like you hear the reviews of the Rush. Like Matt, your review was great. Another one is Rush fans are the Trekkies of rock. Um, I thought a lot about what a Rush fan is. I'm sure Nate, you have your thoughts on it. Um, they're like smart metalheads, guys obsessed with rock music, but not the testosterone part. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> they're metalheads with manners. Um, yeah, <laughs> they're a rock band with no groupies. <laughs> that is very true. Yeah. There's a there's a, a funny "I Love You Man" like a uh, concert clip where the guys are walking backstage and they go, you know, whoa, ten ladies at a Rush concert. That must be a record or something. <laughs> it's true. I was Gene Simmons. I think was talking about when they might have toured with them. They did. Yeah. Rush was the opening act for Kiss for quite a while in the seventies. He was like, "Why? Why aren't you hanging out with these chicks?" He's like, "They were back in their hotel room watching TV while we were partying." They do. They talk about that a lot. They just they like to just uh, improve their you know musicianship. They like to read. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They're just not big, especially uh, Neil was. Yeah. He just didn't like the limelight. I mean, the the lyric that stands out is from the song Limelight when he says, I can't uh, pretend a stranger is a long-awaited friend. I just think that's yeah. who he was. Yeah. He just didn't feel comfortable in that public eye. And that's just I'm who he not, was. And it got not, misconstrued, I think, sometimes as you know, being standoffish or whatever. But I don't think that's who he was. So, Yeah. On that documentary, I paused a frame <laughs> of, Getty Lee in his hotel room and look at, he's looking like he's rocking out. But then if you zoom in, it looks like he's holding a crossword puzzle. <laughs> it's pretty classic. <laughs> Sounds right. <laughs> um, I think that's kind of like you, Nate. I, I was thinking this is kind of like Nate. You got all the ingredients of a popular kid. You, know? <laughs> you just don't have the result. 
you don't have without the getting laid part. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's like having all the ingredients to bake a cake, and then it comes out and it's not a cake. Yeah. <laughs> Neil Peart is an interesting guy and really to shape what Rush is. I think he's kind of like a, he could be a savant or like a genius, but there's these guys that you meet that are like really, really smart, but they also work in a garage and they can fix anything and they know about all kinds of history, but they also didn't transition into like a lawyer. Instead, they went a different direction and they're usually opinionated. And to me, that's Neil Peart. Like, like, just really super smart, but also not into the mainstream way of life. Yeah, I think he is somebody who could have done a lot of stuff. He's very, very well read. He, for a lot of their tours, would ride his bike from city to city if they were close enough. After that, he transitioned into uh, motorcycle riding. So while Alex and Getty would find other ways, he would ride his motorcycle from show to show. Uh, during the 90s, he traveled all the way, I think, down into South America on a motorcycle trip. Yeah, that was very impressive. Um, yeah. 55,000 55, miles he put yeah. on his bike. He did it alone that said after his daughter died and then his wife died, right? Yeah, they, they died within within about a year of each other. They both, I think his wife had cancer and I think his daughter might have died in an accident. But I think he just kind of went on a journey of self-discovery and took that trip and you know rush took some time off there in the 90s and he wrote a book he's just a renaissance man he's just interested in a lot of different things he's interested in art and reading and motorcycles and it just he seems like he had a lot of interests and was very well versed in those interests you know like he could probably he seems like a person that could probably talk to you with some knowledge on a lot of different subjects which i think that's kind of cool And considered by many the best rock drummer of all time. How many concerts have you have you been to for Rush? You know, I was trying to count, and it's either ten or eleven. Is the layout like all dudes, like in the front? There's uh, no like chicks lining lining up in the front of the stage, like awesome. throwing throwing their bras Good on the Lord, stage. No. That first couple <laughs> rows are usually uh, dudes. Usually, there's a group of guys dressed up in like moving moving men outfits, like just the one piece jumpers. <laughs> and they're so what they're doing is they're uh, emulating the guys on the front of moving pictures. There's yeah. like guys moving actual like paintings and stuff right so that those there's usually several of those guys in the front row i don't know if they're a group of friends or what but usually that first couple rows is i mean that's nerd central right there but but in an awesome way i mean that with the utmost respect i'd love to be up there the way i would put it best is it's your sort of nerdy 50 year old uncle in black jeans and a black 2112 rush shirt Yep. And he's yep. he's not been on a date in a couple years, but he's very smart and he's kind of funny. That's yeah. your average Rush fan, I would say. I think it's also guys that have been unsuccessful to get their other friends into Rush. Yep. Like you, Nate. It's a lot of guys that are by themselves going to Rush concerts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's always kind of kind of dragging people there because 
I'm going to be honest with you. I don't really personally know another Rush fan that's kind of on my level. Like that would that would say Rush is on tour. Let's go buy tickets right now. I do not know personally another person like that. So it's yeah. kind of hard for me. But yeah, like I would go with you, but it's only because of 30 years of you pushing Rush on me, and I would enjoy it. But that's it's, there's a lot of work behind the scenes to get someone else to go with you to a Rush yeah. concert. It's a lot of buying the other person's ticket. <laughs> Nobody's going to spring for their own, but they are, they are a band who I will say the first time I saw them, I was a junior in high school and a, the counterparts tour was going on. And that's when everyone else was getting into like uh, Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Smashing mm-hmm. Pumpkins and all that grunge stuff. I was not. I was not interested in it. I had heard Rush and I'm like, this is it. It was like love at first listen. And then we went to that first show in the Quad Cities, and I just remember, like, the first song, they're just blowing your hair back. You know, I'm in the 10th row. I'm pretty close. I think that's as close as I'd ever been. And I just looked at my friend, and we were just, like, out of our minds. Like, I'm like, this is it. I'm like, this is what I've been looking for. I think it's because they went all in on being themselves. Yes. Like in the documentary, it talks about how their third album, Caress of Steel, like totally bombed. Oh. <laughs> and their tour, they said they were playing to like 30 people. They called it the Down the Tubes tour. Uh-huh. And the uh, record company was like, you need to make singles. You need to make singles. And then they decided, you know what? We're going to make what we want on this last hurrah and then probably end up going back to our regular jobs. And so they made 2112 which is the one out one side of it is one song. It's like, a, it's like going way deeper than they were before into this stuff. And then that's what resonated finally. 2112. Yeah. yeah they just were like, screw it. We're just going to do whatever we want. So I think they were on Mer- Mercury was the label they were on then. Yeah. And they were just like, yeah, we're just going to do whatever we want. And we're just going to completely burn everything down. <laughs> and, and it totally resonated with people. I mean, it was Neil was uh, reading a lot of uh, like Ayn Rand stuff, and there's a lot of that influence in it, just kind of the one man against the universe type thing. Right, right. Uh, there's a kind of a common thread that goes through 2112, but yeah, that one whole side of the record, and I have that record, and I gave that record to my son. And the thing huh. I love about that album is you guys need to Google and look at what the back of the album looks like. You need to see the kimonos that Rush is wearing. Uh, Getty calls that the era of the flowing What's up robes. With the kimonos, Nate? <laughs> Apparently, they were on tour somewhere and they saw like some kimonos in a shop window, and they're like, "Hey, let's wear kimonos." So I think for at least one tour, they wore kimonos all the time. Pretty, pretty awesome. It's weird though. I mean, I, I wouldn't think of any anybody coming out today with that type of music. Can you imagine like fantasy type one no. album or one song per side of an album? nowadays it wouldn't be successful i mean it would never get radio play and not that rush ever really got the only song that ever charted by them is new world man which is not a good song closer to the heart no tom sawyer never the only one that ever charted in the u.s i think was new world man well that's kind of like i think zeppelin didn't really have many that charted and Jimi hendrix never did really and but with if you look at album sales like rush had 
sold like 40 million albums and had like 24 gold albums in a row or something. I think so, yeah. they do anything and their fan base would go with it. And then they got sucked into the 80s a little bit, which kind of, yeah. there's not, no one can avoid the 80s. It's a black hole. You will be wearing a sport coat with a t-shirt underneath and with the sleeves pulled up. Getty had, no a rat, Getty had a rat tail. I think Neil had yeah. a rat tail. Alex kind of had a little flipped over weird thing go and you know they full blown 80s clothes and, and the know. guitar with no like top to it yep like yeah. where the top go all of a sudden you don't need the top anymore no, don't need it when you're rush you don't need it what's your favorite song to come out of those 80s albums uh well i mean moving pictures was 80s so it's got to mm-hmm. be Lim- limelight or subdivisions those two kind of yeah. always fight for my number one spot there's i can tell you my least favorite there's one on uh and rush fans would laugh at this one there's one on uh, hold your fire called tai shan which is like a it's got a like a chinese pan flute thing going on and it just does not fit and even in interviews getty has said you know if we've ever made a misstep it was taishan <laughs> he's even admitted that song was a little the lyrics are a little corny and the sounds not like rush but so but then they kind of came out of it they uh roll the bones is one of my favorite albums i love that album didn't the guy yell that standing next to you in a concert one time right? um so the first concert i went to that counterparts tour the guy next to me i think was pretty high i he just was kind of swaying around like kind of out of it the whole show and about midway through uh they played the song roll the bones and this guy went ape i mean he went and he was like the bones man the ball roll the ball like screaming it like this guy was catatonic like i could have done anything to him and he wouldn't have probably even known but when roll the bones came on this guy went bananas jumping i mean jumping around screaming he didn't have all his faculties about him but yeah Uh, the other thing of course the um working out in your dad's uh weight lift gym which we talked about where we are working out with our shirts off and then playing rush and as all the real men come into the locker room we just gravitate towards the corner <laughs> and hide so yeah. then it's just rush playing to an empty locker room somehow or in the corner uh, in that room it was all mirrors around <laughs> so we would try and hide out of sight so we couldn't be caught by their sight in the mirrors even <laughs> There was like one blind spot where you could hide in the corner. So that they it's unspo- it was unspoken too. Yep. Matt would stay on the Matt would stay on the bench press. Yeah, Matt, Matt had some Matt muscles. Was pretty Jack back then. He had nothing to yeah. hide. So yeah, but we were. Yeah. Oh dear lord! <laughs> but my rush connection back then was remember when I went on a date with that with that one girl and you said that she looked like Getty Lee. She <laughs> did a little bit. I feel bad for saying that. I should have never said anything. No, that was, you you had to call me out on it because who knows where it would have went. But after one date, when you I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, she does look like Getty Lee. So we called her Bytor and the snow dog was her little cousin that I dated. <laughs> so we talk about Bytor and the snow dog. You really can't date long-term somebody who your friend thinks looks like Getty Lee. This yeah. is not going to work out. I love Getty Lee, but uh, I can't say I'd be real attracted to him. So, And we asked him, the night we asked them all to come over to Nate's house, and then they came over at like 1230 or something, and it was late, and it was by touring the snow dog, and then they had another friend who was a big, bigger girl. I just remember opening Nate's front door, and the bigger girl had Matt on her shoulders, and she was spinning around in circles, holding him. <laughs> And then afterwards, uh, we asked them to leave, and they had to walk home to wherever. And it must have taken them like four or five hours, probably. I think they set out in the wrong direction. 
from our house. Like they were headed south and they lived north. Like they were headed the absolute opposite direction of where they lived. So I don't know where they ended up, but uh, assuming they made it home at some point. Yeah, we probably weren't that nice to buy Tor and the Snow Dog. (laughs) Yeah, just cut that out, Aaron. I don't know. I guess the biggest part is I'm like, why does this bother me? I'm like, is there something wrong with me? But then kind of being in that rush Facebook page, reading some other people's reactions, it's like, I think people feel the same way. There's a real deep connection to the band that you don't maybe get with some other bands. I can't explain it. I just think, you know, they're very good to their fans and very appreciative to their fans. And they've given us a lot. I mean, you know, they, they tour all the time. They put out albums all the time. You know, they play these epic long shows and they're just, you know, playing with the crowd and, you know, I, I feel they make their fans feel like they're part of it. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I don't know. It's just been, you know, I feel like I've lost part of me, like a musical companion's gone. Well, I think that's natural, man. Especially with a group like Rush, you're going to feel that like mourning process. And not only the loss of him, but it's kind of the end of Rush. Um, yeah. I feel glad and thankful for all the 10 or 11 shows I got to go to. I just, you know, it would have been awesome to share that with my son, you know, get to see mm-hmm. him rush with my, and share that part of me and kind of show him like, this is how much this means to me. And this is why I love this band so much. So, cause just showing him a DVD the other night, just, I mean, I think he enjoyed it, but it's not the same as actually being at a concert. Cause that's being at a con- being at a rush concert is a, I mean, it's, kind of a religious experience i hate to kind of take it that far but it just feels i remember uh it was probably a tour maybe 10 or 15 years ago where the guy sitting next to me we got talking and just like i mean he'd been to like 60 or 70 shows and just what i mean he was just so rabid about i mean and it was just great having that deep conversation with somebody because like most people aren't going to get your little references or little you know joking mm-hmm. things that you know about rush but this guy got it and that this is the guy that said the thing of he goes there's two types of rush fans the kind that want to fix your math homework and the kind that want to fix your camaro and i'm like <laughs> wow i go that is the perfect like encapsulation there's two factions yeah and there's not many that are uh both they're one or the other but so we Spent a few moments before the concert kind of pointing at guys, and I'd be like, hey, which guy's that guy? And he'd go, oh, Camaro guy or a math homework guy. So mm-hmm. that was fun. Just those wow. memories of just community, like the people around you, you just start talking to each other because you all love the band. And in your daily life, I mean, most people don't even know who Rush is. So it's like, can't have these conversations. But yeah. Well, I'm appreciative you introduced me to him, man. I, I got the itch again. I've been listening to a lot of Rush lately. You get an itch for it. It's, it gets under your skin and you want to hear more of it. Uh, their their music sales are up like almost 800%. Yeah. He passed away, which, I mean, if anything good can come from his passing, it's that more people can, you know, maybe discover their music for the first time or get more into their music, you know, and appreciate it. You know, I've read a few fans that don't like Fairweather fans jumping on board, but to right. me, it's like, there's room for everybody. If I, this is what I want. I want more people to appreciate and enjoy their music. That's all I want. You know, mm-hmm. I'm like, sure that'll only grow over time. Yeah. It's not like <laughs> I have some captive thing on it. 
if the whole world knows how awesome Rush is, I mean, that's great. Well, it reminds, it takes me back to being in your car in high school. I mean, it totally does. Just like Matt, for you and Harry Carey, it is a, some, it's a time in your life when you're growing up and laying there on the couch watching Cubs games during the summer. Yep. And he was there. And so that's like part of you. Oh, yeah. I mean, every day. Yeah, every day I would listen to him for three hours. I mean, it was was part of my life, big part of my life. And you feel like you knew him, right? I mean. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's just like you feel like you know somebody. It's kind of like losing a friend, even though Mm -hmm. it's a one-sided friendship. I mean, you still feel like you you know those people and there's a mourning that goes on. So, Mm -hmm. Definitely. And it's good that you've been able to connect maybe or read other people who've been going through that. I, you know, I've never posted in that group, not once, but I did post the other day just that it was really good to read other people's experiences of, you know, how many shows they've seen or what their first album was, what got them into them. You know, a a few people in that group had met one of the guys in the band or met Neil or a couple guys had shared like letters or postcards they'd received from Neil, which I thought that's kind of cool because he was seemed like such a private person, but you know, secretly, you know, these people would write him a note or something and they'd get a postcard back. And I thought that's a, he never had to do that. He never had to take his time and write somebody, you know, just if it's a paragraph on a postcard, that's amazing that he did that because he didn't have to, you know, and that, I mean, that means the world to these people. I mean, a couple of these people just wrote these things that are just these epic long things. And it's awesome to see that's how much it meant to him. You know, I I didn't feel like writing that much because I don't feel like my story is that unique, but they still meant that much to me. Well, thank you guys, you guys for indulging yeah. me. I, sure. Yeah, I, but I just, I appreciate just kind of, it's fun just to talk about it and get it off my chest and just, I don't know, talk about how much it means to me. Like that's the, what it finally boiled it down to was just a lot of gratitude for just mm-hmm. the musical companion for, you know, over 25 years. And I just appreciate it. So. Yeah, it just speaks to the depth of the music and the lyrics mm-hmm. and the character of the guys to be humble, that it means so much to people. So yeah, it's great, man. Thanks yeah, for sharing, Rush. And they, they made the Hall of Fame finally. I was like, nobody's more deserving than them because the influence. I mean, Aaron, you said you watched that documentary to see mm-hmm. the bands, to see the bands that may not exist if it wasn't for Rush. Mm-hmm. They've yep. influenced <laughs> hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of bands and big ones. Right. You know, big ones. And on the influence factor alone, I think it's amazing. For sure. All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to the Think Funny podcast. Thanks to all the Rush fans out there. Thanks to Nate uh, for his passion for Rush. And uh, sorry for uh, everyone's loss. And uh, we'll see you guys next week. All right. Rush on, guys. Alexi, hi. Neil Period here. First of all, amazing job. I have no criticism to offer, honestly, just encouragement. 
um, as you play longer and listen to more music, you're going to learn how to listen better and more accurately and reproduce things. Um, of course, you're going to develop a deeper sense of music and musicality, but you have so much there in terms of natural talent and enthusiasm. I can't believe you can play that music and smile, because I can. I'm like all grim-faced and, and fighting my way through it. Here's you playing along and smiling. I'm, it's wonderful to see. Congratulations, and I give you all the encouragement I possibly can. Uh, keep working, keep practicing, keep studying, and uh, the world is your future. Thanks for listening to Think Funny. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, and tell a friend. If you have comments or topics for the guys, you can email them at thinkfunnypodcast at gmail.com. And check out aarondonley.com for today's show notes and much more. 